What's up, everyone? Happy Friday. I have had a very ambitious, busy morning, and it's only 11 a.m. People warned me, and I was nervous myself, that moving out of the city was going to be boring, lackluster. How am I going to fill my time? I have always been a city girl, born and raised, hailing cabs at 3 a.m., walking distances from the movies to the restaurants to the tattoo shops. Like, I am born and raised city girl. And it wasn't until 2021, my husband and I bought our first house, that we officially embraced suburban life and living just a more down-to-earth, chill, common, peaceful existence. And I'm not going to lie, I myself was also a little bit nervous about making that transition. I didn't want to feel excluded from concerts and music festivals and just everything the city has to offer. But let me tell you something. Every day, especially in the winter, actually that's not true in the summer too, but anyway, any every day that I wake up, I... I'm on a new adventure to try and figure out what fucking animal is lurking around my front and backyard. Every day I wake up in the winter, it's usually animal tracks through the snow, a very clear cut sign that an animal has walked through my yard at some time in the night. In the spring and summer, it's not animal footprints, but it's actual animal droppings like their poop. So in the summer, I was seeing a whole, like, an array of animal shit. I used to own a rabbit, so I actually do know what rabbit poop looks like. I've seen that. But then we we saw, like, fox poop or deer poop. And in the winter, it's animal footprints. So this morning I wake up, and there are large, large footprints on our front lawn. And I can't really get that close to them because the snow is like three feet high and I don't want to go trudging waist deep into the elements to get a closer look at the paws, but they are big. They're not little deer hooves. They're not little bunny hops. It's definitely a four-legged creature because I can see like pairs of two, two in front and two in back. And I even posted on Instagram. I took a photo and I asked my friends and followers, like, do any of you know what these tracks are. My sister lives in upstate New York, so she sees animals all the time. And she even said, like, oh, fuck, like, yours are way bigger. Like, the ones that they've seen in upstate New York, maybe, like, a large rabbit or a hare or a deer. And she was like, yo, I've never seen ones that big. So we've got, like, moose or bears walking around our yard. And to that I say, the suburbs are never boring. So that's my morning, trying to figure out, I'm like fucking Steve Irwin over here with a magnifying glass, trying to figure out, I'm Steve Irwin meets Sherlock Holmes meets Snow White. Because if I had to pick a favorite Disney princess, it would be Snow White. I think she's the most beautiful. She has like porcelain, flawless skin, jet black hair, um... And all the animals love her, right? Like they don't, like don't the animals like help her get dressed in the morning and she can talk to the birds and the butterflies and all these forest creatures like the foxes and the raccoons and the deer. I am living my Snow White fantasy. A, it's cold as fuck and there's snow all the time here in Minnesota. B, you get out, you know, you move outside of the city and you immerse yourself in nature and animals just walk through your fucking property. And I'm very pleased about it. Let's talk about our sweet and sinister side. So on the sweet side, I know that people hate when other people just 
casually toss out what they've been dreaming about. Like, oh my God, guys, I had this dream. Like, I understand that talking about dreams can be boring and pointless, but I think there's a difference between a dream that is just wild and berserk and you wake up not really learning anything from it. Like, you don't feel like there was any lesson. It was just wacky and strange and funny. Like, oh, you were riding a dragon or... But you didn't really learn anything from it. And I think those types of dreams are a pain and a nuisance to listen to. But then there are dreams that make you think a little bit and make you want to look inward, analyze your life, change your way of thinking, and they shift your perspective a little bit. Those are the types of dreams that really stick with me for days, weeks, months, and really get me on a more positive trajectory. So ever since buying our house, I've struggled with comparison. And as everyone always says, comparison is the thief of joy. I have a friend who her boyfriend's not like rich, but pretty, you know, makes good money. And she moved into his house. And just the other day, I was talking to her sister and I was like, you know what? I wonder if your sister is going to appreciate the house that she has because technically it's not hers. She lives there with her boyfriend, but in terms of paperwork and legality, she owns 0% of the house. So God forbid they break up. She has to move. She's officially homeless and she has no sense of like ownership. So I was saying like the struggle to move into your own home and make your house a home with decorations and memories and pictures and photographs. Like that's a real skill. And it's a skill that can only come with time. You can only decorate so much at a single time. You go from room to room to room. And some days I feel really proud of everything that I've accomplished with my home. By no means was the house, our house, like a disaster or a fixer-upper, Chip and Joanna style. It wasn't exactly a turnkey either. It was somewhere in the middle in the sense that it was very kind of boring and plain and vanilla and it had no personality. It had no charm. It was just like a very cookie cutter house, white walls, whitish floors. It wasn't modern, but it also wasn't like vintage and antique. It, it wasn't, it had no style. It, 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 you wouldn't look at my house and be like, oh, that's an obvious 50s house or that's an obvious mid-century house or like, oh, that's an obvious rambler or cottage. Like there's no style. It's just blank, plain house. And I've struggled with, with that because I don't consider myself a very plain Jane person. I like everything in my life to have a little bit of pizzazz and personal touches. But I realized that, The beauty of moving into a home that is very much a blank canvas is that it is primed and ready to be morphed and transformed into whatever you want it to be. The best starting place in terms of renovation and decorating and adding your own personal touches is a blank canvas. If we moved into a house that already had personality built into it, it would have been much harder for me to you know, up the ante a little bit with more personal touches. So on the one hand, I've been feeling very grateful and proud of everything that I've done in terms of remodel. Well, to be honest, everything my husband's done, I am the, I am the brains and the vision of the operation, but my husband actually puts hammer to nail and builds whatever it is that I vision. 
half the days I feel very proud and accomplished of that. The other half of the days I allow, I allow, blah, I allow myself to go on Instagram and allow my, my mind wanders and then thief of comparison. But then I had this dream, right? It all goes back to this fucking dream. So I had a dream that my husband and I moved into a house that had everything that our current house does not. This dream house had a second floor, a second bathroom. It was walking distance to bars and restaurants. And for some reason, this new house was in Austin, Texas. I don't really have any desire to move to Texas. It's too hot. I hate Ted Cruz. Texas has just never been on my mind in terms of dream destination. But for some reason, this new house was in Austin, Texas, probably because if I had to align myself with one cultural stereotypical box, it would probably be the hipster box. Maybe that's why I was projecting Austin onto myself in the dream. So we moved into this new house and it has everything, right? And in the dream, I am miserable. I'm walking through the house and I'm acknowledging, yep, second bathroom. Okay, nice bathtub. Okay, we're on like a really nice a uh, busy street with easy access to restaurants. Oh, look, there's a second floor. Oh, look, there's a balcony on the second floor. I'm walking through the house acknowledging all these perks that our current reality house does not have. And I am miserable. And I'm thinking to myself in the dream, like, why did we move? My house was perfectly beautiful and lovely. And it just really taught me the grass is greener complex never works out the way you want it to. You could always dream of moving to a new city or changing houses or changing apartments or just getting so wrapped up in this ideology that life could be so much better if you moved elsewhere versus just watering the grass that you already have and making it everything you want to. So I thought that that was very like a very enlightening moment for me not to take anything for granted because shit could always be worse. And you know what? You may actually one day get your dream house or your dream job or your dream romantic partner. And guess what? You're still not happy. You're still like, wait, I, I manifested this home or I manifested this career path and I, I have it. And I'm like, oh, wait, now I just still want more, more, more. This, um, very American way of thinking or Western, really, not just America, but very Western perspective of thinking. If I have more friends, more Instagram followers, more cars, a bigger house, more clothes, more, 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 then I'll be happier, happier, happier. And you realize that it doesn't work out that way. This is also kind of trippy. My husband goes to work hours before I even get out of bed. My husband leaves her work at like 6.15. He arrives at 6.45. I wake up at 8, so I'm usually fast asleep when he leaves the house. So while I'm dreaming of this make-believe dream house in Austin, my husband is buying pieces for our bathroom remodel on Amazon. So when I texted him in the morning, I was like, babe, I had like the craziest dream. He was like, hey, that's so funny. Like while you were dreaming of our house, I was actually buying shit online to make our house just a little bit cozier and more personalized. We are going to start the bathroom remodel soon. We're going to go to uh, Home Depot tomorrow on Saturday and buy fucking paint and stain and a grout pen and 
hardware. I want to get a new towel rack, new knobs, uh, a new faucet, just all this shit. So it was really nice. Like when I was streaming up the house, he was actually taking the steps to make our house a little bit better. Our love lives in the unconscious and the subconscious. And I think that's really neat. Okay. We also have to talk about this week's Bachelor episode. The Bachelor airs on Mondays. I never watch it live because I don't fucking have cable and I'm just really not interested in live TV. I always watch it the next day, commercial free on Hulu. So I watch The Bachelor on Tuesday and it, listen, The Bachelor and Bachelorette is always a little bit cringe. That's, that's just the name of the game. The, the, the one-liners make you cringe, the sappy music, and these dates that they go on are so over the top and completely unrealistic. Like, no shit you're going to fall in love with someone if you're traveling to fucking Malta and Ibiza and Paris, France. Like, of course you're going to fall in love traveling the world with candlelit dinners that the production team pays for. Nothing comes out of pocket. Nothing's real. Of course, you're going to fall in love in this like fantasy world. You take all that shit away. You take the producers away. You take the budget away. You take the free plane tickets away. And what are you left with? Diddly squat. Just your two personalities. You either mesh or you don't. That's probably why so many bachelor couples break up because you strip away whatever production provides for you, the lovely hotels, the romantic fantasy suites, the special memories. They always go to like fucking Finland or Sweden and like watch reindeer want to run around and they get in a hot tub. That shit doesn't exist for 90% of real couples. But this particular Bachelor episode was the most, and listen, I've watched nearly every season since the dawn of time. And this week's episode was maybe the cringiest I've seen in a long, long time. And here's why. So I forget the name of the girl. It's either like Rachel or Kaylee or Bailey or Saylee or Maylee or Daly. It's always Lee. Like Ashley, Kaylee, Haley, Taylee, Bailey, Saylee. I fucking hate all these names. Like, can we get like a fucking... I don't know, like Ruby on the show? No, everybody's named fucking Lee. Can we get like an Aug? Can we get like a June? Can we get a fucking Sophie? Like when's the last time a Sophie has been on the show? No, it's always fucking Taylee, Kaylee, Maylee. So some fucking girl probably named Kaylee spelt in the most obnoxious way. K-A-Y-L-E-I-G-H, right? That kind of Kaylee. And I always confuse Clayton for Colton I get their names mixed up, and they also look like the exact same person. (sighs) Anyway, so it's fucking Kaylee, and it's fucking Clayton, and they go on a one-on-one, and they end up having barbecue with this random, strange family. They're, like, walking through a public park. They're in Texas, uh, Houston, I believe, They're walking through a public park and they see this family barbecuing at the park. And Clayton's like, hey, hey, stranger. And the dad is like, oh, hey, stranger. Why don't you come on over for some fucking barbecue? And the whole spiel is like, oh, Southern hospitality. Texans and locals are so sweet. So they end up having their first one-on-one 
How fucking pissed would you be? This is why The Bachelor is so unrealistic. Because how pissed would you be? Take away The Bachelor, okay? Take away the whole show. You're on a date with a guy. One-on-one, you're getting to know each other. You're supposed to have this quality bonding time. And then he ends up inviting himself to have lunch with a strange family in the park. If I'm the girl, I'm thinking, I don't want to eat with these randos. I want to eat with you at like a nice restaurant so we can get to know each other and talk. But instead, they eat barbecue with this strange fucking family. And the this is this is my question. How random actually was the family? Does this family have ties to the show? Did producers like round up this crew and say, hey, we're going to put you here. We're going to give you the food. Just pretend like you're grilling. You're going to see a couple walk by and then invite that couple over to eat with you. Or, I mean, everything in The Bachelor is staged. So I have to believe that producers like rounded up this family, probably paid for the food from like a local restaurant had them act like they were grilling in real time and then invite the couple over. So Clayton and Kaylee, Haley, Daly, end up sitting with this family. And then there are like multiple shots of Clayton talking to the strange husband and then Kaylee, Daly, Bailey talking to the strange woman. And of course, the strange, these are meant to be strangers. And the strange woman is like, so do you see like kids in your future with with the love of your life? Again, take away the show, okay? Let's pretend like we really are at a party and we really are talking to strangers over the grill. And some strange woman is like, hey, Sophie, do you really see kids in your future with the love of your life, David? Do you believe in love? I'd be like, who the living fuck are you? Leave me the fuck alone. Just these insanely personal questions being asked by complete strangers and we're acting like it's all fucking normal and chill to be dining with a strange family and I don't fucking know. And then later on in the date, um, this happens literally every Bachelor season. The one-on-one starts with a day date and then it turns into an evening date. And then if the evening date is going well, they finish their dinner and the, the Bachelor or the Bachelorette always, is always like, oh, um, okay, like here's your rose. Things are going really well. I would love to take our date to like a little, like, Blah. Go, like, blah. why can't I talk? I would always love to take our date to like the next level. Like, please follow me to this room. I have a surprise for you. And they go through the doors. And then it's always this band that nobody has ever fucking heard of before. In Monday's episode, the, the band is called Restless Road. So Clayton takes Kaylee, he gives her the rose, he says, oh, I have a surprise for you. They walk through the doors and there there, they, there it is, there it is. It's Restless Road playing um, the acoustic guitar and singing about love under the stars. And of course, because they're in Houston, this, this particular band has like the thickest Texas accent and they begin slow dancing and then jump cut to... The interviews where producers are asking 
the com- you know the competitors like what was your favorite part of the night and the com- competitors always have to say like oh my favorite part was was seeing restless road perform live it was such a blessing to be there for this one-on-one concert and i'm like wait is this an advertisement for restless road did restless road like like throw some money at producers like hey make sure that you know Clayton and and Daly fucking mention our band name and mention how special it was to see us live what the fuck and then there was this really cringeworthy car advertisement look I can't look I fucking can't we have to move on to the sinister side before I blow my fucking brains out talking about Daly and Kaylee and Clayton and Blayton there is no Blayton but anyway um, my sinister mood, I got tattooed this week. I love getting tattooed. And, you know, COVID's changed and ruined everything. But one of the things I really hate most about COVID is that it's changed tattoo culture. Back in the day, BC, before COVID, I remember getting drunk with friends in the middle of the day and then walking into it into a tattoo shop to get like you're matching you matching stars or like a best friend tattoo I remember the days when walk-ins were the norm and every shop was just accepting them nowadays because of COVID you need an appointment and of course everybody is booked up weeks or months in advance so there's really no spontaneity involved in tattoo culture anymore it's all about reaching out via email, hoping to hear back. You do hear back. You agree. You know, this is the project we're going to work on. Oh, um, I have time next month, bitch. Like, hope you can wait till then. It's just really annoying. But anyway, I got tattooed the other day and I got like a very, uh, it's on my Instagram stories at Sophie Radvan because describing a tattoo when you can't see it is kind of pointless, but basically it's a black gothic winter cottage with flames coming out of the windows. So a gothic winter cottage basically on fire to represent the way my life has going been going so far. It's not a dumpster fire, it's a cottage fire. And the reason I bring up tattoos is because I had a really lovely chat with the tattoo artist. And he was such a sweetheart. He was cute, both physically and in his personality. His wife is a tattoo artist as well. And we were talking about how his wife opened up a female-only shop in Minneapolis. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Um, Do you ever get clients who, you know, they basically demand, like, I will not be tattooed by a man. I only want to be tattooed by a woman. And he's like, yeah, all the time. We have people come in requesting to see a female artist. Unfortunately, we don't have one at this particular shop, so we do have to end up turning customers away sometimes. And that reminded me of, God, a fucking story about a a male tattoo artist who, it was just a very unfortunate experience. Um, So I'm going to tell you the story really quickly. Years ago, I got tattooed in Portland. I'm not going to say the guy's professional name because I don't want to start, I don't want to open up a can of worms and then that leads to online bullying and then you go after him and whatever. I don't want to fucking start all that shit. But basically, his his name is Jonathan and he is normally based out of Denver, but he was doing a tattoo tour. So he was going to do guest spots at multiple cities in the U.S. And he happened to be coming to Portland around my birthday. I reached out to him. We agreed to meet and we get the tattoo started. 90% 
into the tattoo session. We're almost done. He starts asking more and more personal questions about my personal life. Uh, do I have a boyfriend? Do I do I live with him? Um, how serious are we? And he creates this analogy. Basically, the, the artist is trying to convince me to cheat on my now husband. And this is the analogy he used to try and persuade me to cheat. He said, imagine if you were playing tennis. Tennis is definitely more fun with another person, right? Playing doubles, it's a good fucking time. But imagine if you had to play doubles with the same person for the rest of your life. Like you could never play with anyone new. How bored would you be? How bummed would you be? And I was like, bro, I'm not falling for your fucking tennis analogy. You are not going to convince me in broad daylight while I'm getting a needle jammed in and out of my arm. I am in physical pain. I am not very comfortable. Um, I'm sitting. It's like bro- there's nothing sexy or romantic about this environment. I am literally like sitting in a chair. And if you know about tattoos, maybe you experience this as well. I experience really extreme swings in temperature. And I think it's because it's your body's way of kind of going into shock. Your body like is it, you're, in a way your body is experiencing trauma, right? Like a needle is fucking piercing the skin. So that trauma triggers really extreme temperature swings. For the first half of a tattoo session, I am frigid. I get the chills. I start shaking. And I always have to ask the artist to stop so that I can go put on a sweater or a coat. The second half of the tattoo, I am sweating bullets to the point where like my underwear is wet. So we're in the second half of the tattoo with Jonathan. I am sweating bullets. It's in the middle of the day. He's talking about tennis and playing doubles and changing your partner. And I'm like, bro, I'm not fucking falling for it. Um, What was the point? Oh, yeah. I just really appreciate the fact that, number one, his wife, not Jonathan, the tattoo artist who was working on me the other day, his wife took the initiative to open up her own tattoo shop where it's women only and it's very femme-centric, queer-centric, LGBTQ positive, and a very welcoming um, environment for women and trans and queer and bi, just, just anyone who doesn't belong to the cis white male category simply because the tattoo industry for years only now is it changing for years it's been targeted towards cis white male and it's been dominated and run by cis white men so just the fact that the times are changing and women or queer you know whatever as long as you don't belong to that cis white male box and you feel like oh i would actually prefer if a cis white male didn't work on me Because let's face it, tattoo appointments are really intimate. Sometimes you take your clothes off. Sometimes you end up revealing a really personal story. Like what's what's the inspiration behind your tattoo? Oh, you reveal that, you know, your family passed away or your your dog is sick or you know what I mean? Sometimes people cry during a tattoo session. I know I have. I've cried during a tattoo session before, not because of um, an emotional story, but because of pain. And if you don't feel comfortable crying in front of a tattoo artist... Maybe you shouldn't get tattooed by that person. Like, comfort really is everything. Also, on the sinister side, I watched a very dark and brooding movie this week. It 
reminded me so much of 13 starring Nikki Reed and Evan Rachel. Do you remember 13? Do you remember 13? It came out like 2003, 2004. That movie blew my fucking mind. I was too young to have seen it in the theaters when it premiered, but my older sister did. And my dad went with her. And my dad, according to my sister, I obviously wasn't there, but according to my sister, 13 was so traumatizing for my dad to sit through that he walked out. He said, like, peace, you can finish this movie. I can't watch this. I can't watch, like, 13-year-old girls, like, have sex or even become abused. Like, 13 is pretty fucking heavy if you think about it. And my sister was 13 or, like, in her teens when that movie premiered. So it was almost like my dad was picturing my sister in the same situations as Evan Rachel Wood. And it was too much for him that he pieced the fuck out. Like, that's how heavy it is. So my husband was like, hey, you love 13 so much. Have you ever seen this movie called Bully? B-U-L-L-Y. I was like, no. So we watch it. It's from 2001. It actually came out a few years before 13. So I kind of think 13 drew inspiration from Bully. Basically, Bully um, is about a group of, they're technically not in high school. They're like high school dropouts. Basically, a group of really wild, rambunctious, rebellious teenagers in a trashy Florida town. I think it's Hollywood, Florida. And they're smoking weed all the time. They're, you know, they're school dropouts. They don't really do much. They're not very motivated or driven. They're just drinking and driving around their small hinky-dory town. And it's a group of seven of them. And within this group, there's one guy who is the bully. He, oh, by the way, this is entirely based on a true story. Not just inspired by, it is actually a detail for detail reenactment of the true story. This is why I think Bully was such a successful film is because it really, um, like every scene in the movie is actually how the real situation happened. There is no exaggerating the truth or adding you know, more drama to the story. It's like, no, 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 this literally happened scene for scene for scene. So this guy in the group of seven, he um, physically abuses the men in the group. Every time the men come home from seeing this guy, the parents always notice that their child has bruises and scrapes and a blue eye. And they always say, like, oh, we were just joking around. Like, boys will be boys. You know, boys get physical. Boys play a little dirty, play a little rough. And this bully sexually abuses the women of the group. I think he raped at least one of them. Um, and basically, this group agree to kill this friend. I mean, he's not really a friend. He's like a horrible, horrible person. But they agree, like, we're never going to get this guy out of our lives. He is chained to our existence. The only way to get rid of him, or one of them jokes, like, haha, the only way we'll get rid of him is to kill him. And then they're like, wait, like, no, let's fucking kill him. Like, he is horrible. He's ruining our lives. He's beating us up. He's sexually abusing us. Uh, Let's fucking kill him. And they succeed. I'm not going to go into all the details because I don't want to spoil it for you. But basically, the group ends up killing him slowly. Like, like, so they gather as a group at the beach and they can't get their hands on a gun, but they can get their hands on like a hammer, a kitchen knife, a baseball bat. 
because they're in high they're like high school age where are they going to get a gun so they agree to meet the bully and one by one every member of the group stabs him or hits him over the head with a baseball bat or takes a screwdriver to the neck and they kill him and uh at the end of the scene they reveal what happened to the actual people and because it's florida where the death penalty is legal it's revealed that like one or two of the main members of the group whose idea it was to kill the friend they got the chair and it was you know death by electric chair i think they say at the very end so if you are looking for a movie recommendation bully i forget is it on netflix or hulu i can't remember what platform it's on bully from 2001 it'll blow your mind and but then but then if you want to take it a step further watch the movie and then read on yelp just or not yelp what the fuck yelp on wikipedia sorry go on wikipedia or imdb and read just how accurate the movie is to the real life events because it'll shock you like the cars that they drive are the same um the school that they went to are the same the manner in which the friends take turns killing their friend is the exact same um the sexual abuse is the same. like it's 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 basically like watching real life events on a tv and that just makes the movie to me that much more scary and disturbing and it just makes you remember it a whole lot more so that's all from me have a great weekend everyone if you want to follow me on instagram at sophie radvan if you want to follow the show at two moods pod i will talk to you on monday have a great weekend bye